0: Play action for Kirk from under center, straight drop. Kirk trying to win it to Thielen, caught at the 5!
1: Cousins, Thielen,
0: 42 on the Saints!
1: Kirk takes the snap, looks right, fade left, end zone, and it is caught! Touchdown! Hello, hello, let's go. It's your man Flip Mozzie. And thank you for spending some time with Miles, Borum and me today. We've got two weeks of training camp on the books here, so Miles and I are going to go over what we're hearing
0: on the offensive side of the
1: ball. Miles, how are you doing today, man?
0: I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to kind of get back into things now that we finally have football back. It's great to have something to to like talk about sports wise. I-, I agree, man. And it's um.
1: You know, we were talking on the on the group thread the other day and we just had to stop for a minute because we just had to embrace the fact that, look, we're talking about an actual football season. We're talking about, you know, some actual games here coming at us fast. Feels like they're going to sneak up on us because there's no preseason. Um, So I'm just I'm ready to, like, break down like we usually do, break down the Vikings the positions and see what we've got cooking for
0: 2020. Yeah, I'm excited. I, the, like you mentioned, the the no preseason is going to be tough because like you kind of get a, like as fans especially like normally I'd get to go to uh, practice here and there. I go to a few of the training camp practices, even try to like write some notes and do podcast about them. But we don't get to do that this year. So, um, like right. you then you take away the preseason games. It's like, well, how do we evaluate fully evaluate some of these players because at least through our own eyes, because obviously you rely a lot on like the, the beat writers and kind of what the, the, the highlight videos the Vikings send out. And then obviously the, like what the beat writers are, are uh, reporting. Those are kind of like the, your, your sources of truth right now. And not that I don't trust a lot of them to do great work. They do a lot of them do great work. I just like to see for myself how guys look and see what what I think they might be able to bring to the table. So it's a definitely a, a unique situation we're in right now where we don't really get to see a lot of that. We just kind of have to go through what what we have and, and, and kind of parse through who's doing what, who's getting these opportunities to, to jump in and take advantage of, of the situation. And um, so I guess that's kind of where we're at in terms of like what, what in depth, the in depth ability we'll be able to kind of break down will look like right now.
1: Yeah, that's the truth of it. The only way to do it, you know, is, is to rely on the media members who are at camp, like you said, talk right. about what we've been hearing what we've been reading, what we know about the Vikings before 20, 2020, you know, rely on some of that 2019 knowledge. Um, and so I've been reading a lot. I've been reading, you know, all the different websites. I like to get a variety of opinions. Definitely. And the, the number one recurring theme here is that for the Vikings, the, the roster turnover is real. It's happening. It's a youth movement. But part of that is the offense is more intact than the defense is. And over the last few years, they've definitely invested more in the offense. So so my take is it's time to see that on the field. Time for the offense to be the strength of the Vikings. Maybe it's not the offensive scheme that some people want, but the offense could start leading the Vikings in 2020, be the more dependent group, the more you know, the group we can count on because the defense is getting so young. And that all starts with the quarterback. So what do you
0: think, Miles? Yeah, I think you touch on it. The youth movement on both sides of the ball is we're seeing it. And you're seeing it in a lot of key areas, like really important positions. But the one we're not seeing it in is as that quarterback. They extended Kirk Cousins. We've we've kind of talked at length about that. We don't need to get into that. But kind of what we're seeing there is like Kirk's finally in a situation where he's in an extremely... He's in the same offense. He's in the same verbiage, same... You know, everything's the same for him this season, so he doesn't have to go into the offseason having to try anything, to learn anything new. Now he gets to go into the offseason and work with, you know, Clinton, Gary, Kubiak on how do we expand on what we did last year? How can we build off of what we already... the foundation we built last year? And that's the exciting part I have, I guess, for this offense is what new wrinkles are they going to bring? Obviously, there's no Stephon Diggs, so you're trying to find a, like... It's hard to say. I hate using the words fill the void of Diggs, but there's like the idea that you need to you need to replace his targets more than you need to replace like his skill set because his skill set is in terms of what the Vikings had um, have currently on the roster is so unique because Diggs in still, in my opinion, based off of what the Vikings have on roster, is still the only was only the the only true deep threat like dynamic playmaker down the field. And that's not me saying that Adam Thielen can't be a downfield playmaker. I know he can be and he is, but the way he's been primarily used has been more the, sh- the intermediate routes. So what does the, the wrinkle of the offense look like now when you don't have Stephon Diggs, you drafted Justin Jefferson, um, you, you still are looking to – I don't. we don't know what the deal is going to be with Cook, but we know he's going to be here. Um, you know, you have him. You have a lot of the the overall core offense. You have a, a, a second-year tight end in Irv Smith. Uh, you bring in – you have BC Johnson coming off a, a, what you'd say a strong campaign for a seventh-round rookie you kind of are just looking to build off of some of what you had last year. And Kirk's a, the, obviously the focal point of that. What does Kirk do best? He does best play action on the move, uh, out of the pocket, getting away from pressure, but also hitting his first read right away. That's a, a big thing for Kirk. So, And Kirk talks a lot. I think the last two offseasons he talked about working off script. I have a hard time believing him when he says it. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Because he's 32 years old. What, ter- 32, 33 now? Um Either way, he's still he's beyond he's like well past the idea of still working on things in terms of like being able to change who he is as a quarterback. I think he can still be a better quarterback, but for him to overall change that aspect of his game is going to be really hard to do. And I think getting him on the move is always a good thing. I think I, I do think Kirk has an underrated athleticism. I'm not calling him fast, not calling him like overly athletic, but he can use his legs. I know he can. We've watched him do it. It just can he use his legs off script and create? That we haven't seen. So I think there's a difference there.
1: So, Miles, you saw that quote about Kirk trying to
0: scramble more, and yeah. that, that hits you some sort of way. It did, because, the, like I said, the dude's 32 years old, and he's sitting here trying to say, I'm going to add this wrinkle to my game when he's never added it before, never even tried to add it before, or if he has, it didn't work. So. Right.
1: What? And the pocket presence has always been poor.
0: Yes, and the idea of him hitting when pressure hits, he he struggles. Not that he can't, and he especially struggles when pressure hits when it's not throwing off on script. Still, like pressure be coming into his face, but he still has a an on script throw to make based off of his reads. When he mm-hmm. doesn't have an on script throw to make when he's, he has pressure, that's when he starts to crumble. So this idea that he's now going to change that part of his game, I I just need to. I need to see it. I need to see it before yeah. I were, ever, were to ever believe that it's going to happen. Um, I believe Kirk's an above average quarterback. I think Kirk's a, a good quarterback. That that's never been something I've ever. Uh, I've never said. I've never tried to. You know. I, I do think some people try to downplay his abilities. I think people try to use his like contract as this idea that he's not as good as what he is, which is is false to me. But at the same time, I know he has limitations, and so I think making sure, and I think what Gary Kubiak might have a little bit more, obviously, experience-wise than um, Kevin Stefanski, is working with a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, who needs a little bit more of, I think, the coaching to help impact him to make plays. And I really believe that. Not that Stefanski didn't do a great job. I believe he did a great job last year. But Kubiak has all the experience in the world. He's been in all these different situations. And I think him, him building and expanding on this offense that he basically helped create, is a is going to go a long way for Kirk in this offense. So I'm I'm excited to see Kirk. I'm, I'm not even going to say takes take the next step, but I just want to see him build off of what he did last year because last year was you know probably his best best in the league.
1: Yeah, yeah. 2019 was great, and I think Kirk's 2019 proved that he is good enough to build an offense around. Right. Um, the question is, did they maximize Kirk in 2019? Or can the scheme do some things differently to bring out an even better version of Kirk or a more consistent version of Kirk in 2020? Some of the things that pop out about Kirk's last season is, you know, he still had pocket presence issues. They they negated that with the rollouts and with the play-action passes. Yep. Um, he was still a little trigger shy, but Kirk's deep ball percentage, he threw a higher deep ball percentage than ever before. Um, Now, most of those deep passes went to Stefan Diggs.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's what worries me.
1: But the bottom line is 2020. The Vikings can't regress here. Kirk can't get more conservative because he doesn't have Diggs going deep. They still need to have somebody running those deep routes. And Kirk still needs to throw that ball downfield because he is elite, one of the best in the league when he does it. Yep. Um, and, and we've seen Adam Thielen convert on his deep targets, both in 2018 and in the playoffs against New Orleans. So there is a path there if the Vikings just keep on calling those deep
0: shots. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess I, and what I was trying to say about like Diggs being the like unique player on the on the roster last year at wide receiver is more of. It's not that Adam Thielen isn't, can't win and be successful downfield. Right. It's just that that's not how they've been using him within this offense. Yeah. So, like, Diggs was used as the primary X deep receiver. Like, his routes were, were being asked to run more than what we'd seen him do in his career, even too, before right. last year, was to be pr- the primary deep threat, the primary receiver to, to win downfield and to stretch the, to stretch the offense. And, I, and it helps Adam Thielen immensely. And so that's why I'm wondering, like, where Gary Kubiak and Kirk themselves can get a little bit more creative in how this offense is run, because Justin Jefferson, albeit he maybe has a little bit of a closer skill set to more of like the Adam Thielen than he does the Stephon Diggs, and that's not even a, a slight at all. Adam Thielen's a great receiver. I think yeah. the way they they try to use um, Justin Jefferson, he's really good at, uh, with the ball in his hands, which I think uh, I think Adam Thielen's good with the ball in his hands. I don't think he's great with the ball in his hands. That's and. Um, but Justin Jefferson's pretty good with the ball in his hand. So hoping like the marriage with him and Kirk and and Thielen, I think we're there. At least what both of those guys can do is they both can get themselves open quickly, and they're both really good in route route running. And I think that's something Kirk Cousins needs from his receivers. He needs his guys to create separation. He needs his guys to to flash and show and show themselves open because that's when Kirk's going to be his most effective. Because like you mentioned, the conservative nature of his game. If he doesn't feel a guy's open, he doesn't usually throw his guys open, for the most part. That's not a, a big thing for Kirk Cousins. It's more of on script. My guy got open, so I'm throwing it to him when he's open. And, and it's so, a mental yeah. thing too, because he's accurate definitely. when he yeah, throws right.
1: those tight passes. He is. He's yep. just got to have that trust level there. So hopefully exactly. that's happening in training camp right now. Yep, I yep. agree. So, so part of, you know, the Kirk experience is his clear lack of pocket presence, pocket mobility. Um, And for several years, we've talked here, you know, the Vikings have had offensive line issues. We have a quarterback who is even more sensitive to those to like pressure up the middle than other quarterbacks in the league are. So 2020, you know, We can we can hope for better interior offensive line play. I personally don't see it, but I wanna I wanna know what you're thinking here, Miles, because I don't understand the logic on the offensive line right now.
0: I'm I'm so here's my thing. my whole idea is at least the tackles are still consistent in what they have. I think Brad O'Neill still has an opportunity to take the next step in his in his projections in his career. He's going to year three. This really should be his ascension year where like you're like, oh, man, this dude's a Pro Bowl level. All, nah, I won't say all pro. I think all pros is a little bit, maybe a little high for him yet. But I think he has an opportunity to get to that point. Like, I think what we've seen from Brian O'Neal is he has the opportunity to be a premier offensive tackle in the league, right tackle in the league. So I think if you can see him really take that step to be the I'm not getting beat by I don't care who you are type of offensive tackle, that's what I'm waiting to see from Brian O'Neill. I think that's the only thing I'm trying to waiting to see. Um, otherwise, he's been his his progressions have been fantastic. Riley Reef, we've kind of had a back-and-forth flip on, on Riley Reef, our disagreements, but it's not me trying to defend Riley Reef, the fact that they shouldn't find his replacement. My whole idea is the fact that he is what he is. He's an average left tackle, but I think that means more than – it means a lot more than I think people even realize because finding someone better than Riley Reef isn't an easy task. And they currently overpaid. don't – That's fine. You can call him overpaid. That doesn't make him easily replaceable. And that's all. That also is to say that I don't think there's a current left tackle on roster that could be better than him at left tackle right now. Um, I think uh, Ezra Cleveland they drafted in the second round. I think he has an opportunity to be that guy next year. I don't think he has the, the functional strength to, to like fit as at the as the current left tackle right now. That's okay. They didn't draft him as like a hey we need you to be our left tackle day one. It's okay. Not all rookies need to be day one starters at left tackle. That's a hard ask. And so I think. Having Riley Reef still there, you know, if he can just stay healthy and be be a, the consistent Riley Reef we kind of know, I still think that means a lot for what they have. And I think um, where that if impacts the interior, the interior offensive line shouldn't be this. We need to go spend all kinds of high draft picks, spend a lot of money on to be effective, especially in an offense where you're asking your offensive linemen, especially the interior guys, to be mobile and, and to be lighter and to be able to move and, and work, in, work in space really well. Those guys are usually meant a lot more for the run game, which I think what Gary Kubiak and the offense have done is that they have those interior offensive linemen who can work well in the run game in this run game in space. The question, like you mentioned, is the interior pressure. Garrett Bradbury was the 18th overall pick in 2019, and I feel like people keep forgetting that. Like, he wasn't drafted to be a, a mediocre center in the league. He was drafted to be an above average, you know, one of the better centers in the league. And he's older. He's already 25 years old, and you've already seen last year was a struggle for him fu- with functional strength and with pressure up the middle and like his pass blocking. He was really good in the run game. That was expected. That's, that's what they liked about him, but we need him to be way better than he was in pass protection. He and so must step it up. He has to step it up because he's the key to that interior. Because if your center is not any good, it's a lot harder to ask from your, your, your guards, because to me, it goes, uh, the, two, uh, the two tackle positions and then center are the three most important positions on an offensive line. And then it goes right guard, then left guard, based off kind of what I've seen. So you can have a little bit of, I guess, lesser guys at the guard positions, but you better have really good tackles in a center. And so Bradbury needs to take that step. And I think moving Elfline over to right guard, I think we've had these conversations about Elfline. I need to see it. <laughs> I'm not going to believe anything about him being quote unquote, better at the right right side than the left. But the only thing I will say with him moving to right guard is I do know that that's where he played the majority of his college career. And before he got drafted as a center, I'm sure he would have made his mark in the NFL as like a right guard. So maybe he, I do believe there is some idea of being comfortable. And if he's more comfortable on the right side, maybe that'll help him mentally and the processing and all that stuff a little bit easier. So maybe he'll be, I think what I expect from Elfline is, him to just be better than i just seen him to be better than uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Pat Elfline just needs to not be a liability. I guess is is more of what more than what he needs to be a functional a functional starting right guard. I guess that's all you're really asking of him at left guard. That's the I guess the big question mark. Dakota Dozier, Ezra Cleveland, Aviant Collins, like all these unknown situations you kind of have at left guard. But if your center and your left tackle can be kind of a consistent force. That left guard doesn't need to be anything all world. They just need to be good at in the run game and then hopefully just not a liability and pass protection. But I can't really say much more than that. You know, I try to be optimistic and
1: uh, I trust the offensive line coach, Rick Dennison. This offensive line will be a problem. Yeah, I agree. Moving elf line to right guard, I mean, have, have we not heard about the word continuity? You look at all these great offensive lines across the entire league. All of them have continuity. They don't have all-stars. They don't have great five players across the entire line. They have continuity. Why would you move Elfline to right guard? Why now? I, it's just... I,
0: so, I think I, so here's my only thing. is I, They didn't make that decision on their own. I think that was them talking with Pat Elfline to make that decision based off of finding out where he's comfortable. So that's where I was saying, I think if he's more comfortable at right guard, that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Like, that just means he's, he's more comfortable with how he's going to play there. So maybe that helps but, him.
1: But, but my problem with this, and maybe I'm holding on to pass drafts a little too much, is when we drafted Pat Elkline, we drafted a right guard. When they first drafted him, I said, you keep him at right guard. You move Nick East into center. And they said, no, you know, Pat Elfline then, when he first got drafted, he said, I feel more comfortable at right guard. Yeah. And they still moved him to center. So they play him at center two years, and then they move him to left guard. And now he's going to yeah. no, draft you're... a guy, I agree. play him where he played in college, or don't draft him at all.
0: Yeah, but, no, uh, you know, I agree. If move I'm,
1: I'm... him to right guard, and it works. Then what have they been doing for the last three years? Right, I can't no. think I... of a single guy where yeah. they moved him. And it worked. And now they're doing it with Ezra Cleveland, too. So they're going to shuffle him just like they shuffled Elfline, like shuffled Aviante Collins. They shuffled TJ Clemmings. It's ridiculous. And and for me, moving Cleveland to left guard is just like in in three years, we're going to be like, oh, well, maybe Ezra Cleveland's a left tackle. Maybe he's a right tackle. Draft a guy to play his position or don't draft him at all.
0: So that's the where I disagree is the fact of if they if they view Ezra Cleveland as their best fifth offense, let's say fifth offensive lineman to play left guard, like they're like you have your your core four of uh Reef, Bradbury, Elfline, and, and O'Neal, and you're looking at your left guard and you're like, Ezra Cleveland's the best guy we have to play left guard. That's not a problem to me because At least there, like in terms of the difference between what Elfline's doing, Elfline's moving sides. Like his footwork is completely is the complete opposite. At least moving, sliding Ezra Cleveland into left guard, he's still having having the same style of footwork. He's still like the hand placements. A lot of those things are similar. The only difference is really his run fits and the and pass pro is a little bit different in those in those in those cases. So at least for me, if you're like, hey Ezra, we think you're the best left guard we have. We're gonna you in there because we just need to put our five best guys out here and next year we're still going to plan on moving you out to left tackle and kick you i don't think it's going to be asking him to do a lot of change as if unless they were like 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 you to your point if they were like oh ezra we want to see you play right guard or play right tackle no that that would be a a big no-no for me because then you're asking him to kind of play all these different sides of like work his footwork and overthink things at least at left guard he doesn't really have to overthink a lot more of what he would have to do if he had to slide back out to left tackle. So that's the only thing I'm like, it's not as big of a deal to me.
1: It certainly doesn't make things easier for the kid, you know, 22-year-old kid developing, first season right. in the NFL, trying to trying to learn the playbook remote, and and you're doing a position change on him. Uh, you, you said something about, you know, starting your best five. So right now it's Elfline, Bradbury, Dozier, Reef, and O'Neal. Right. Is that the Vikings' best five?
0: I mean, obviously, the only guy that you're, in my opinion, the only guy you're really questioning is the left guard position at that point because apparently Drew me is not ready to overtake Pat Elfline at right guard, which I know a lot of people are disappointed in. I mean, he was the fourth-round pick, so, like, I don't know, right? But I think, right, when you look at the whole five, left guard's the really one, you're like, well, is Dakota Dozier, like, a, a viable starter in the NFL? Probably not, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll move on because,
1: you know, to me, I think Rashad Hill at left tackle and Reap at left guard is better than Dakota Dozier at left guard, but neither here or there. We got to trust the coaches. (laughs) Let's move on to running back. And we're not going to go full Dalvin Cook contract (laughs) dispute here. We're just going to talk about what we expect from the Vikings running back room during 2020. To be clear, I'm I'm under the impression that Dalvin Cook will play like a normal season. Yep. Um, I his contract. I mean, he's going to play. I doubt he gets extended. But for 2020, he's here. So how does that running back room look?
0: So that that's a good question. This is kind of where I think you and I had this, uh, like we had a back and forth in our group chat a lot about this because I think it's I think we have the same idea. I think the reasoning is just different. So for me, I think Dalvin Cook should still be your primary ball carrier. I mean, he's your best running back you have. That, that's not a question. Like nobody's questioning if Dalvin Cook's the best running back the Vikings have. He is. Like there's no, that's no doubt. The only other question is, Based off of what we saw from Alexander Madison last year and him moving into year two, does he warrant like you want to make sure Dalvin Cook gives you all sixteen games? We haven't seen that happen yet, but in a perfect world, you would like to see Dalvin Cook give you all sixteen games. How do you help help him do that? You don't make him at you don't ask him to to t- have four hundred touches. You ask him to have. You may you know maybe two two seventy five. I don't know whatever that number. Yeah. Looks like. Night, nightmare
1: yeah. scenario is we start the year we load Dalvin Cook up, right,
0: right, and then he gets injured week six. Yep. No, exactly. So, so I think if you're looking to help supplement some of that from Dalvin Cook, you have a good backup and someone that can jump in and, and take on a lot of the help um, of Dalvin Cook with an Alexander Madison. He proved he could be a really an effective running back in the NFL level, especially in this scheme. He's de- and I think he's deserved some touches, like, and not just uh oh we're in the fourth quarter winning the game touches. Uh, hey, it's the first quarter, second quarter, whatever, and we're just looking to give Dalvin a little bit of a breather. Alexander Madison's is really good and can do that. I think that's not that's not an issue for me. I think the idea of splitting them, I think the only difference is how do you split that? Because Madison's a good he's a good receiver too. I don't think he's better than Dalvin but I think he can be an effective receiver out of the backfield. He's a guy that can catch screens and he obviously does really well breaking tackles. So he gives you a little bit of what you're, and, and he, I think he's pretty decent in pass passable from what I remember. So, you know, he's someone that you're like, I know that he can come in and if we need him to take a lot, on a lot more snaps, he can do that. How many more of those snaps looks like? That's the question. And so I think, what does that look like? And I don't, and I, for me, I know we had a back and forth of it needs to be a running back by committee or like you know, split a closer split to each other because they're going to move on from Dalvin. For me, it's not because they need to move on from Dalvin. I think it's because they need to help keep Dalvin healthy. Yeah, that's yeah. why that's why I really view adding Alexander. I, Madison I agree. Yeah,
1: I, I agree, and that's kind of what I was trying to say with like the whole fresh leg theory. But we're on the same page there. The question yeah. is, so the question is, how much? How is Madison good enough to enter a timeshare with Dalvin Cook? So if, if there was a if there was a 50 percent drop off from Dalvin Cook to Alex Madison, then no, he's not cutting. Right. It. Right. Um, but if there's like an 80 percent drop off, then maybe you can rotate him in and the entire team benefits from that. Uh, I, a lot of Vikings fans have just taken it. They think Alex Madison is a good NFL running back and. A cheap NFL running back and a good NFL running back are not the same thing. This is a guy who had three meaningful meaningful carries per game last year. So it's calling Madison good is the same as saying Eric Wilson is a good linebacker or <laughs> saying Chad Beebe is a good wide receiver. Like no, you don't know it, and you have to see it this year. You have to see him not not just get them for the sake of it. You have to see him earn more carries and keep dalvin cook fresh
0: but i i will say the only thing is just because he saw three meaningful carries a game last year doesn't mean he didn't see like still carries during the nfl season and while he did see those carries he was effective so i think there is at least some of like i hear what you're saying in terms of meaningful plays because Mm -hmm. if you have the game intact in the fourth quarter and your guy you're just looking to run the clock out i understand but he still did those and he still was effective while doing it so at least at least there's a baseline of we've seen him be effective against other NFL caliber team defenses. So like it may not have been all of it during meaningful snaps, but at least we've seen it on the field to some capacity. That's what that, I guess that's more of what I mean. It, we haven't
1: seen it to some capacity. If you look at, you know, everybody talks about the free agent, the running back free agents in 2021, Alvin Kamara is hitting the market. Joe Mixon is hitting the market. Uh, I think Aaron Jones might be hitting the market. All these running backs are hitting the market. If you go and you look up the backup running back on each of those teams where their RB1 is set to hit the market, Alex Madison has the least amount of carries, the least amount of experience compared to all of those guys. So we, But
0: that's not Alexander Madison's fault either.
1: It It is his fault because basically they're saying, look, this Dalvin Cook guy is way better than you. And and if we really believe what we believe about running back value, then that shouldn't be the case. There shouldn't be a big drop off, and he should be able to contribute behind whatever offensive line we well, have. So
0: that's where we disagree because I I still believe that Alexander Madison, if Dalvin Cook were to be out for a few weeks, I know I know it happened last year, but Madison got hurt too. So that right, he a, got hurt too, and that was
1: a, like if I had seen yeah, him play yeah, well in those yeah. two games, I'd be all on board. I agree. We no saw I, Mike. Yeah. yeah we Mike saw Boone. Mike Boone in those games instead. Yeah. Mike Boone didn't win any fans. No you
0: know? no no right no no I' with I'm with you in the fact that it'd have been nice to see him have a more of that like RB1 opportunity last year when delvin was out. I agree with you 100%. My whole thing is I still believe this offense can be an effective run the ball effectively and a lot in this scheme while also using play action as their like as their parameter for like our passing game for the passing game. They can still be an effective offense in that way with Alexander Madison. Madison, I'm not saying they're better. Right. I still believe that they can be effective, and their passing game can still be as effective. That's that's more of what I mean right. than than anything. I'm not I'm not saying Madison's better. I'm not saying Madison gives you more, but he can he can be an effective running back.
1: We just need to see it. We need to see it. Same sure. thing with Bradbury. Same thing with some of these wide receivers we just need to see it even if it's a small glimpse we just need to see more than you know 42 carries carries. when the game is on the line
0: sure no i agree i mean i would like to see dalvin cook get a little bit less of the shares just to like for his sake you need him if you you need him all 16 games you you created you've made this point more than anybody they've created this offense around dalvin cook whether we like it or not you know i'm not i'm not as as -hmm. prone to that being your focal point of an offense, but they've done it. So that's what it is. I'm not going to argue that point because it, it is what it is. I don't get to, I'm not the one that changes it, but it's not what I would do fine. Like your point. So that makes Dalvin cook and um, an important piece to their offense because they've decided that he's their important piece to their running game. And that, that part of their offense. So you need him all 16 games plus. Yep. So therefore you need Alexander Madison to help make sure that he can Help you play all 16 games by not getting as many touches to help save him for an entire season.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's the nightmare scenario low Dalvin cook up and he gets hurt. This um, you know, Vikings fans have this thing with the even year we're bad, odd year we're good.
0: <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm I'm there. <laughs>
1: one thing that is common in all even years, the running back gets injured. Uh 2018, oh, yeah. Dalvin got injured. 2016 Adrian Peterson got injured 2014 Adrian Peterson out for suspension we sucked in all those years and it's not because running backs have a high value it's because we build we're like hey Dalvin you're the guy and then the second we lose that one running back nobody knows what to do on the offense anymore
0: except for 2017
1: 2017 2017 we had Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon McKinnon behind Dalvin so that's my question is do we have somebody as good as Latavius Murray and as good as Jarek McKinnon behind Dalvin Cook right now
0: we don't have a Jarek McKinnon I believe we have a Latavius Murray and Alexander Madison we don't have a a Jarek McKinnon there aren't very many Jarek McKinnons in the league in terms of like his overall explosiveness and athleticism I think Mike Boone is an explosive playmate is an explosive running back he's not on the same level as uh, when Jarek McKinnon was here though
1: yeah, and so that's all I'm trying to say is I'm yep. looking for good running backs. Hopefully they're cheap, but they right. have to be good. I hear you. Uh, let's uh, okay. So we we covered all the boring side. You know, we covered the, <laughs> the quarterback. Our quarterback is boring. Yep. Offensive line is boring. Running backs they don't really matter. They're boring. Let's get to the fun positions. Let's start with tight ends and then go to wide receivers. My my question for you, Miles, is. Is this the year that Irv Smith Jr. passes Kyle Rudolph? I
0: do. I, I believe so. I, so here's the thing. I still believe like if they're going to run a 11 personnel or a, a situation where they're running one tight end sets, I still think Rudolph might be the guy for the majority of the snaps just because I think based off, you can say a lot of things, but contract experience, I think a lot of those things, the Vikings still view there's a lot of value to Kyle Rudolph. I don't disagree in the fact that he can still be effective for this team. Um, but I think in terms of statistics, and I think overall, like playmaking ability, Irv Smith should already be there. You know, from what he should he should be more of a focal point of the passing game than Kyle Rudolph should be this year. I think based off how he wins, the way you can use him more uniquely and like um, creatively, I think there's a there's a few ways that you you would expect him to take, I guess that next step because he's going into year two. He's been here. He knows the offense. And he's not technically the primary pass catcher, so he doesn't have all that burden to really like have to be the primary pass catcher. But I think he can take that step to be one of the core guys on this offensive passing in this offensive passing game. So yes, I believe this would be the year that like in an ideal world, Irv would surpass Rudolph, be that guy. And then like based with everything we know about the cap situation, I'm not going to go down this whole rabbit hole. But everything we do know about the cap situation in 2021. Kyle Rudolph should become an expendable player because Irv Smith has then taken on the opportunity to to show you that he can be your guy
1: yeah yeah, I agree it's it's interesting they treated Kyle Rudolph as the number one tight end last year but they also used so many two tight end sets that Irv was just like he was always on the field him and Kyle had the same amount of pass targets uh, in 2019 now the style of those pass targets was very different. Irv was yeah. like an intermediate guy, middle of the field, middle of the drive. They were looking at Irv. Red zone, they were looking at Kyle Rudolph. So I just don't see an, a hard transition here. I, I I expect him to pass Kyle Rudolph. And I expect the Vikings to be like, look, when, we're, when there's only one tight end on the field, that tight end is Irv Smith Jr. I,
0: I, I believe it should be. I really do. I, I'm yeah. with you on that. I just don't know if we'll see it all the time, just because I think Rudolph's earned his snap still, and I still believe like it's a weird it's a weird thing that like NFL teams do, but like they use like they use that they use experience right. they use they use a, a guy that's earned his role and his opportunity, and Rudolph being a captain and all that stuff. Like I think that mm-hmm. just goes a long way for him seeing the field probably uh, as much as Irv Smith, which maybe in those cases it shouldn't always be warranted, but I think it, but. In a in a Dalvin Cook scenario where you want to keep Kyle Rudolph healthy, if, even though Kyle Rudolph has stayed healthy, um, you know prime, the majority of his career after the first few few seasons where he got banged up quite a bit, um, he's been healthy throughout the most of his career. hasn't missed I don't think he's missed a game in five years, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. Um, as he starts to get older, if you even wanted to look at making sure he stays a little bit more fresh, fresher legs for a guy that's not even that explosive or fast, um, that could be a way to do it too. If you're going to go more eleven personnel giving Irv some of those snaps and letting Rudy kind of come in and, and play more of a, like, uh uh like 1B role of the tight end group. Like, 1A, 1B type role, but let Irv be the 1A guy. I mean, I think it's, right. it's something that they should be able to do. Right. Well,
1: that's easy. That's tight ends. We agree. <laughs> Irv Smith Jr. It, it's one of, those, what about it's one of those positions where, you know, a preseason, I just imagine – Irv balling out during 2020 preseason and being like, clearly here's the guy he's starting week one as tight end one, but we have no preseason here. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting when the, uh, when the ball drops September 13th. All right. Last category miles wide receivers. I'm not going to talk about all of them. I don't even know half of their names. There's like (laughs) 11 of them. I'm looking at the top of the roster. I'm looking at who's making the team. So question number one, yeah. are we worried that Justin Jefferson is running with the, with the twos and not the ones
0: I'm not. And here's why. So I saw this come up on, on Twitter and I think someone said currently Justin Jefferson's like, what the third option or whatever, the third wide receiver. I'm not worried because it's only been a, what a week and a half since camp started. If they had had a full off season, if they had had OTAs, mini camps, all those things and we're a, a week plus into the, into training camp and Obviously, going into what would be a preseason game, and Justin Jefferson still kind of straddling the twos and not really like seeing as many opportunities with the ones, I'd be a little bit more worried—not worried, but like hesitant. Or maybe that just means the guy ahead of him's looking that re- he he better be looking really good uh, in a BC Johnson. But for me, with without all those that offseason opportunity, without you know him really only being on the, seeing the field for the first week and a half now. Coming out of the COVID situation, that he, he had where he had to quarantine for uh, ten days. I think that kind of helps bring him back and settle um, and slow things down a little bit for him, which is okay. That's not a bad thing. He, like this idea that just because he's a first round pick, that means he's got to be the day one. He's got to be the day one training camp starter. Is not right. It's not true. Like he doesn't have to be. You can. He's got to work his way up. He's got to build himself, and he's got to prove that he can be the guy. And so I think. Seeing him, seeing them say that he's getting run with the ones in three receiver sets, he's getting the opportunity to kind of jump in and um, kind of be a um, be a part of that rotation is an important part for him, especially this early, because that still shows that he's progressing, that he's showing well in practice and against the DBs and and, and understanding the offense. But at the same time, um, I'm also not worried just because I think maybe what we've talked about flip this is something that we very much have been adamant about maybe they're going to run more 11 personnel where they run more three receiver sets and Please. that means and that means you know bc Adams, adam bc johnson adam Thielen, and Justin jefferson are all in the field a lot more than what we saw last year and that would be fantastic i think and then you even roll out an Er Ir- smith in that scenario right like that's a really good four four receiver group right there that you're like wow we could really do a lot with those guys and be creative with all three, all four. And I think BC Johnson coming in uh, looks like he maybe he looks a little he looks a little quicker up from what I've already seen uh, the small sample size I've seen of yeah, course he right. looks quicker he he's already been in the offense I think asking him to just be more of a veteran than he already even is uh, isn't a bad thing just because I think that just means they they view him as someone that can be a contributor and a a heavy contributor for this offense which is a good thing like they need that right. You, Like just because even if Justin Jefferson were to come in and be the wide receiver two right away, you still need a third and and even a fourth option behind those guys that can be effective. So BC showing out early enough that he could be that effective third, second, third guy in the receiving receiver room is an important thing for this offense because you need it. You need you need those guys. We've talked about that where they've really lacked that third wide receiver. And so for a while now. And so I think if BC can take that step, that only helps helps Justin Jefferson too. Because if Jefferson is going to continue to progress um, and see the field, that means you just like BC's. If BC can play well enough, you're like, well, we don't want him to leave the field. That's that's a good thing. I don't view that as a bad thing. That just means that you should probably want to see all three of those guys in the field more than than what we've seen in the past. So, so no, I'm not worried about Justin Jefferson right now. I think. Just let him continue to progress. I think obviously, if we had a preseason, that would really go a long way. But we don't, so let's just let him work his way up. And I think I still think come week one, we're going to see him. He's going to see a lot of the, the see the field a lot week one, and he's going to see opportunities week one. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't yeah. be discouraged or worried about that.
1: Yeah, you know we we dr- go out and we draft fifteen rookies. So obviously the uh, the, the attention is going to be on those rookies. I've said for you know, quite a while now, we got to focus on the year twos. Because this offense right now, this entire podcast, we've gone over it. Yep. If Bradbury takes a step, if Irv Smith takes a step, if Alex Madison takes a step, and now if BC Johnson takes a step, that is that is how you win uh, NFC North. That it's is perfect. how you
0: make Especially. a pro playoff run. Especially when your cap is is as tight as the Vikings have kind of been because you need those guys who are on rookie contracts to be heavy contributors for you. So those kind of guys, like you said, them taking that jump, like what we saw from the Vikings, I won't put them on this level because they're not, but the 2015 Vikings, those Mm -hmm. rookies taking that level from 2015, 16, obviously once they hit 2017, they were at their peak. You want to see that. You want to see some of these guys take that next step and really while they're cheap (laughs) especially – be effective for you
1: definitely okay well so so we're we're excited to see how bc versus jefferson shakes out miles chad Beebe's getting a lot of chatter <laughs> up in egan
0: <laughs> man i mean i i think i have said this for other guys i just need to i need to see it like you can they, people they can say all they want about chad bb we we so like Everything I've heard about Chad Beebe doesn't surprise me because we know when he's healthy, he can be a solid slot receiver. Like he's a solid slot receiver. I'm not going to call him any more than that. I'm not going to call him any less because he's shown, at least in practices, and preseason, and in the small snippet of snaps he's played. Literally, the small snippet of snaps he's played in the real in the regular season, he can be somewhat. I, I guess you could call it effective. He's he's shown that he can he can win some of his routes. Obviously the his His issue is it it's all short to it like not even really intermediate but more short routes he's a he is a short route winner like that's where he wins that's how he wins he's really a slot only type of receiver so for me, if he's gonna prove to stay healthy and be your fourth fifth wide receiver that's not a i guess a problem for me but i'm not he's not someone i'm trying to rely on uh oh, man we're gonna have
1: all the slot receivers man we got yes, we're gonna I know have...
0: <laughs> oh
1: slot gods man so the other thing with this wide receivers competition is people always mention special teams yep. and i know like you got the laquan shredwell gunner role <laughs> that matters man we got to start stop looking at at punt returning as to make roster decisions after that we had like 200 punt returns yards last year
0: total yeah, it was bad
1: so like We going to put B.B. on this team just because he can return punts?
0: No, I I really do think it's going to be K.J. Osborne for that reason. I think he's the guy that gives you a little bit more of an explosive return ability more than Chad B.B. But I mean, mean,
1: still, like, where is this guy going to slot in on offense?
0: I don't. So not. So here's the thing with with a guy like K.J. Osborne. He doesn't have to slot into offense to be to make your roster. He, if he's effective on all specials, like the, here's the issue some people run into is they look at guys like an, Amir Abdullah for, I think is it a prime example. They look at him as, oh, well, he's your kick returner. You're only keeping him to be your kick returner. No, Amir Abdullah plays on all of your special teams units and he's good on all your special teams units. So a KJ Osborne, mo, every single team. They the better league. be making all of those tackles. They but, better be. <laughs> But but do you hear what I'm saying? Like I hear what you're saying. Like Amir Abdullah can be a, a third or fourth running back on your roster, and you're like, okay, fine. Like he can be, like we saw, they even used him a little bit on offense last year in the passing game. That's where he's most effective. Great, because that therefore he's just another guy. If you need to slot him in, you can slot him in. A KJ Osborne, maybe I don't know if he's ready to, to help contribute on offense. That probably not at this point. But if he can be effective on all of the special teams units and be your primary punt returner, there's value, there's value to that because, like I was trying to say before, every NFL team has a, a handful of guys who are on the roster to be depth, but especially because of their special teams ability. And so, like, we can say all we want about spe- what people think of special teams. I, I played a lot of special teams in college, so I, I, know, I know a little bit of, like... See, that, that's, my, that's my mistake bringing this up (laughs) right no but it it does it matters because you need those guys because special teams is more than just ability it's like a mentality you have to have this mentality because you might not be seeing the field on offense or defense but you still have to have the mentality that i need to go win and win and win what my my position is on special teams and i need to go be effective in it because that's how a lot of these guys make a living is because of special teams so a kj osborne for example if he is going to make his living as a rookie playing special teams. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. They didn't draft him to come in at, in the fifth round to be an effective wide receiver for the team. They drafted him to be maybe, what, fifth or sixth receiver, but to be a core special teams player. Chris Boyd did it last year, too.
1: Can, can think, we at least agree that they can't keep both? Like, don't keep BB and
0: Osborne. Sure. That's fine with me. I don't need... Okay. But I don't... I. So this is my whole thing. I the the Vikings have talked higher about Chad Beebe than I've ever would have ever liked them to at this point because, it, like Aviant Collins, is in that same category, these guys haven't proven they can stay healthy, and that's an unfortunate thing. Nobody's wishing for for injuries. Nobody wants them to be injured. It's the reality. Why would I still hope or think, hey, you're someone that we could still rely on? You haven't like you've been around for two plus years now, and you haven't been able to be healthy. So that ship has sailed for the idea that we're going to let you be someone that we need to rely on. If you end up stepping up and can be a guy that is a depth piece, fine, but you're not someone that we should, that the Vikings should be relying on right now, because that's where the guys like a KJ Osborne should come in and, and say, we'd rather just keep KJ Osborne over Chad Beebe in that case, because he can still do a lot of what we need to special teams wise, and even help us as depth at wide receiver. So if we need to cut Chad Bibi, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be looking at uh, KJ Osborne versus Chad Bibi and thinking, "Oh man, we might need to keep Chad Bibi." No, you cut Chad Beebe's ass, and you say, "We need. We have. We drafted KJ Osborne for a reason. Let's see what he can progress into." Because Chad Bibi's had his opportunity, KJ Osborne hasn't.
1: I'm gonna clip that audio right there. Cut Chad Bibi's ass. That's, that's
0: all. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we're at a we're at a point where if Tajay Sharp. KJ Osborne. And then you obviously have the other top three, the BC Jefferson and the BC Jefferson and Adam Phelan are guaranteed locks to make the roster. We know that like that is a set in stone. Those guys are on the roster.
1: All slot receivers,
0: all slot (laughs) receivers. But yes, (laughs) I mean, at least Jefferson played uh, on the outside in 2018. So there's at least that. And at least Adam Phelan's played on the outside. But back to my point of after those three guys, Tajay Sharp being your fourth receiver to me would be a good thing because he's proven he can be. I've used this word a lot today, an effective receiver in the NFL because he has. He's proven that. Right. right? right. Now, at least we've seen him be effective enough. If he needs to step in and be your third receiver or second receiver for a week or two, you know he can do it. So the hope is he could be your depth piece, a veteran depth piece that you can know you know you can rely on if you have to. I don't want Chad Beebe to be that guy. I really don't
1: yeah, uh, hey, I, I think that's a great summary of the wide receiver depth chart right there. All the hot takes on on every single one of those guys. <laughs> and we didn't
0: even talk about the other guys, like an Alexander Hollins. But I uh, yeah, he was, he was, I too. mean,
1: sure, I love that guy. I lo- I love him. I I'm haven't have not i can not tell you anything about him, but his name's not Chad Beebe. He's
0: looks so. he's pretty good. I'll give I'll give you that. He's a name to like to keep an eye on to make the potentially make the roster because he has looked good. So there is that. Yeah.
1: There it is. I mean, we went all over every offensive position group. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Miles, I got one last question for you. You know, there's no fans going to U.S. Bank Stadium in 2020. Doesn't look like it so far. I know that you are the one who, when it's time, when the Vikings come on the screen, you are you are locked away. Yeah. You're throwing your phone in the trash can. You're watching at home on the couch. It's your favorite place to watch a game. So, for other Vikings fans, because you're such a watch at home expert, what advice do you have?
0: <laughs> have your setup ready to go because you got to know where you're watching the game and how you're watching the game. I, am I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm weird where I like to have a. I use the same, I usually have like the same type of beer every week. Mm-hmm. I, have, I wear, I wear. A, I w- it was my Stefan I used to wear a Stefan Diggs jersey. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do that anymore. I have a Chris Carter jersey, so maybe I'll throw that one on. I, but now now I have my son, so I'm, like, excited. I get to, like, he's, you know, he's he'll be 15 months when the season starts, so I can awesome. watch, watch the game with him a little bit. So I'm usually, uh, my wife's usually in the background laying on the couch, you know, telling me not to be too loud. Or, um, but she likes to watch the games too, but I don't like to watch with a lot of people. So kind of adding my son to the mix and kind of having just our core uh, little, like, stay at home, watch the game, maybe have some nachos or something. I don't know, something like that. Yeah.
1: Okay, so so get your beer early.
0: Yep. Uh have your watch, as, watch
1: with your some setup. family members, and not don't too, be too late. Not too many. Not too many. Not too many. You've had them playoff games where you got too many, too many Yes, yes
0: I've had that. I've had my mother in law come over in the middle of a game, and I have basically <laughs> had to like ignore her.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, it's just part of being a diehard man. Right. Right. Uh, well, my. I, Thank you so much for joining me today. I thought we had a very good conversation. If y'all have uh, some comments, questions on the podcast, on the offensive side of the football, we'd love to hear them. Both Miles and I are on Twitter. Climb of the pocket's going to keep on rolling here as we work through 2020. So until next time, y'all, Skull Vikings.